Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler, joined today by my co-host, Tom Lewis. Tom, how are you doing today? How you doing, well, Mark? How you doing? Good. I can't complain, man. I, uh, it was actually really nice. I don't know what it was like in Indiana, but over in Toledo, it was like 70 today. I had my windows open. I didn't have to wear a sweatshirt. So it's going to be it's one of the last days of summer, really. Yeah, I mean, it, it's bone dry here. We haven't had rain, and there's no rain in the forecast, but it is very nice during the day. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll have some rain coming up, and I will hopefully not be raining on too many people's parades today, but we have a mailbag, <laughs> so uh, there will always be a, a parade to be rained down upon. But, uh, you know, to start off, before we uh, get hopping into those questions, we have a couple of things we want to talk about. Number one, uh, the Pacers coaching list has narrowed down as Billy Donovan has been hired today as the uh, the head coach of the Chicago Bulls. Um, actually, you know, my friends who, who, who follow the team and, and cover the team, uh, they're actually kind of optimistic about it. I, I don't know how I feel about it. Um, I, I don't have a great read on Billy Donovan, to be completely honest. I think um, I, I love your perspective on it. I just obviously I remember him from Florida when I was growing up, but I felt like in OKC, um, I mean, he just had two completely different teams going from you know the Westbrook and Durant era to Westbrook and PG, and then now with I mean the team he had this year, it felt more like an embodiment of him, but. I'm not really sure what to take from his tenure. Yeah, I mean, I really think favorably of him as a as a coach um, in general. I mean, with what he's done in in both college and the pros, I, you know, I think if the Pacers could have gotten him, it would have been a, a very you know a quality hire. Uh, but I think you know he also is a guy. I don't know. I kind of always felt that he doesn't mind the spotlight and um so i'm kind of not surprised that he's trying to gravitate to a, to a bigger market um out of okc and so um i think with that bulls team I, it feels like you know they have they have a lot of very interesting pieces um and it seems like they've been kind of uh you know the players haven't always been on board with what jim boylan was doing and now maybe if they that get that sounds a like an understatement. <laughs> on board, actually they're in a they're in an entirely there. different ship. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget so, the, uh, when Zach Levine had forty and Jim Boylan was going to pull him, <laughs> and he's like, "I have forty effing points." <laughs> oh man, what and a that, season for Chicago! Yeah, so I mean, they have talent. I guess let's say that they got they got they got talent. There's no doubt. And, I mean, for a guy like Zach Levine, I mean, he's been kind of, uh, you know, wandering around the uh, NBA wasteland there, you know, putting up big numbers but not producing, you know, big wins. So it's an opportunity for him to kind of reshape the narrative of his career with a a new coach who, you know, all of a sudden if all these coaches keep flaming out while you're you're one of the lead guys and, you know, people start pointing at you so um i think you would think he would be on board with what was going on i would you know i you know 
I would say, I would think that Chicago would be getting some input from guys like him, but the way that organization's been run of late, um, and all you got to do is follow at Bloggable on Twitter, all-time great Twitter uh, handle for Bulls fans, um, and um, you'll know that organization hasn't really been run um, that smoothly over the past few years, so um, I don't want to give them credit and say they probably got the players' input on this, but regardless, I personally, I, I'm a fan of Donovan. I think it's a good hire. I did find it interesting that um, – Word came out after hearing today, um, you know, word came out that the Pacers had talked to Donovan about the job. So that was another guy to add to the list. Um, but then all of a sudden, you know, I was hired by the Bulls. So maybe that was uh, Donovan's people, you know, pushing that out there and making sure they had all the full leverage when they're at the negotiating table. Yeah, I agree. I, You know, the, the longer that I've been uh... – a little bit closer to things, the more I realize how much there's a, a lot of leveraging that goes on. You wouldn't really think about, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so, you know, the next thing that we, I would love to keep talking about coaching, but we actually have a, one of our mailbag questions is about coaching. So we are going to save the rest of that until then. But for right now, um, I, we have a, a little mini segment. First of all, Spree Googs, who is always on top of things with his questions. Um, he asked us who our favorite MLE targets were. And that was what I wanted to do with the pod today already anyway. So, um, you know, we'll just feed right into that. And I think before we talk about the candidates, I want to talk a little bit about the Pacers salary cap situation and where they're at. And so um, looking at Justin Holiday, uh, he signed for the veteran minimum last year and it was on a one-year deal and the Pacers have his bird rights because he played a full season here. So when you look at the salary cap, I believe they only have like a, a few million dollars of wiggle room, right? Um, here's the thing. So the Pacers can, A, uh, re- go over the cap to re-sign him or use the full MLE on him. Or not, it may be not the full MLE, but I think he will get close to the full MLE, which is... Uh, I would think so. Yeah, I would be surprised if he's not, especially in this free, mar- free agent market. Um, yeah. But the problem is if you use the full MLE or the MLE... Uh, to some extent on Justin, then A, you don't have that to use on anyone else. And B, um, you can't go over, you would have to pay extra money to go over the cap and go into the tax. So when you look at, um, if you, if you re-sign him with this money, you still have the MLE to spend. So, I mean, either way you're going into the cap and going into the tax potentially, but I mean, if you, if you can get Justin to re-sign, um, for I believe the max you can sign is like it's around five and a half million dollars for three years because it's only like a hundred. I think it's the the veteran minimum resigns like one hundred twenty five percent of current value or something like that. I don't have all the numbers right in front of me, um, but it it ends up being around that. So he'll get significantly less than the full MLE if he were to resign with the Pacers. Um, but I just think. It, he really hinges a lot of what the Pacers can do in free agency if they're going to do anything. Yeah, if they're going to kind of shake up the roster a bit um, while, while keeping him. I mean, he's a player you got to keep. I mean, he was so valuable. In, in the, and if he is going to be offered more um, elsewhere, then, you know, so be it. But, um I like to say, you, you don't want to have to use that MLE to keep them around, ideally, um, and, and let them go over uh, by re-signing them and using, using all the 
machinations of the uh, of the uh, salary cap to um, add keep a guy around like that. And I would think with Justin, um, because of his nomadic career, that years would be, you know, obviously the money, the the per year money is is critical, but also the years would be of value as well, having a little more security um, going forward than he's had throughout his career. So um, I, I would think he would be a guy you would trust with that. Um, he's going to give you everything he has and, and be a guy. I mean, he was just incredible um, guy off the bench this year, filling, you know, just human spackle out there, filling every gap they needed. You know, sometimes having the guard fours and, and you know, seemingly always hitting the three when things were going the wrong way and, um, you know, just solid on defense and able to make plays offensively. And, uh, you know, you never had to question what you were going to get out of them. So, you know, that is so valuable. And, you know, to me, I mean, I don't know, maybe if it was a regular year in the, in the, in the a normal offseason, um, it, I might be more worried about him going elsewhere, but um, it, it's going to be such a uh, strange little off season here that you know maybe the Pacers have an advantage there. But I agree with you know. Oh, I don't know if you agree, but I I feel like you know ideally you got to sign him without having to use that Emily and then be able to use that on someone else. And then again, you know I think we're all kind of anticipating other roster changes via trades or, or, um, well, yeah, via trades. So, um, that will, that will really be how you can alter the roster. Then if you got the MLE and then you have some trades, um, and then you got a little bit different look going into next year. Yeah, exactly. And I think the point that I really want to make is, you know, looking at it, whether or not, I mean, I think even if you have to use the MLE, you sign Justin because of what he does for the team, and I don't really know who you're going to get that's going to replace him. Uh, that could be that's the other even better. <laughs> Signing Justin to his money allows you to go over the salary cap, and then you can still use the MLE. Um, but if so, if Justin takes the MLE, you, the next contract you can sign has to be a veteran minimum. So if you keep, if you're able to sign uh, Justin and his money, you can still use the MLE, which that's that's important because the difference between a veteran minimum player and an MLE player is massive. Um, yeah. Like a vet minimum guy is like. Kyle O'Quinn a couple of years ago, and then you compare him to Justin Holiday. I mean, think about the difference in the the impact that they've had on the team. I'm not saying you're going to get somebody who has the same impact as Justin at that level, but it's it's a stark difference. So, going off that, we can go into our Emily uh, our, our Emily targets because that's what, that's what Spree Goose asked us who we thought our our eye would be on for an Emily salary. I know we talked about this, and you know, I'm looking at more of a trying to look at you know, a wing or three to four type hybrid, you know, um, I think, you know, a guy like Jeremy Graham would be great, but I think like you mentioned, he's going to be probably more above the MLE at this point. Um, well, yeah, especially too, because he has a, he has a player option that I think he will probably opt out of because it's for about $9 million. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I think, well, A, that is the MLE just about. The MLE is right around $9 million. And it's either eight or nine. I can't remember right off the top of my head. But uh, A, I mean, he's played way above the MLE. He, I actually, I was talking to somebody about this a couple of days ago. I think he's going to get around the 13 to 14 million range for like a three or four year deal. Because uh, wow. just yeah. finding a stretch four who can yeah. defense, it's pretty huge. But um, 
Yeah, uh, so I, I totally agree too. I think the guy that we're looking for is somebody who could be a three, four off the bench or you know, maybe spot start occasionally. Obviously, it depends on what the roster is like in, uh, in, a, in a month or two, but um, I, I agree. Having that wing guy or just another forward who can kind of fill in and play on both ends without killing you is, is what we're definitely looking for. Yeah, I mean, a, a guy like, you know, even more hopeless. I mean, I, th- I feel like there's a few guys that may be more of a partial MLE. <laughs> um, you know, even a guy like, um, I don't know, Andre Roberson, Oklahoma City, who was a shooting liability. He came out and shot decent down the bubble, maybe giving him a look just because I, I'm in this mode where I want as many active wings <laughs> um, as you can find and um, that hopefully can, you know, also shoot the ball. Now, Roberson would be um, a leap of faith. I think you have to have uh, yes. tryouts there, make sure he's, he's shooting, is improving. But, um, um, you know, another guy, that's kind of Kent Bazemore, kind of those interchangeable guys that you can – bring in who, you know, have pretty good experience um, and kind of a fit in the Pacers culture. I don't know. Who else you got? Yeah. So actually my, I, I don't, I really don't have a number one guy right now. Um, but one of the guys who I really would kind of champion for just, just because I'm looking a lot at, I mentioned this before you, as well to you too. Um, I'm really looking at things in terms of there's only going to be one center, one of the centers on the roster next year. Right, Obviously, right. I mean, Goga, will be there as well. But I mean, I'm looking a lot in terms of just there's going to be space in the front court. That's not currently there Yeah, for the purposes of this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, So I think my, one of the guys I look at right now, and it it might look not great because he hasn't been awesome in the bubble, but I mean, prior to the bubble, I talked to some of the salary cap experts around the league and they were thinking he was going to go on another, you know, two, two year, like $40 million deal just to, to milk out the, you know, like the remainder of, uh, of his really good starting years. And that's Paul Millsap. Um, I think, mm-hmm. you know, he's probably gotten to a point now where he's slowed down enough. Um, and this is not really hyping him up a lot, which is unfortunate. He's still a really <laughs> good quality player. Um, but Paul Millsap's playing starter minutes and still and um, playing. Obviously, when you're deep into the Western Conference Finals, and it's hard to know what to take from the bubble and everything. Um, he hasn't been as great defensively. His shot hasn't been, you know, incredible. But I think in terms of a guy who could be a veteran voice in the locker room, um, maybe he can teach some of the younger guys a thing or two about defense, which would be exciting. Um, and mainly, I think just having somebody like that who can come in, they can still play at a high level for like, you know, 15, 20 minutes a game, and they can be that veteran person in the locker room. So I think I, I look at Paul Millsap as, as somebody who could be kind of pivotal in that, that spot. And he fills a position of need. He could play a little bit of five. He can play the four. Um, not really a three, but, uh, yeah, I, I like him there for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's a pro's pro and I, I think he probably would think he's going to do better than MLE, but you know, you gotta let the process play out. And, and, um, like you say, I mean, he is, um, not a guy you're investing in for the future, really. I mean, he's more of a guy you're, um, you're either, you know, depending upon what kind of role he wants as well, you know, I mean, if he wants to, you know, go to another championship quality team that's ready to go right now, like the Clippers or, you know, a team like that or, or Golden State or any team that where he's going to take a lot less and, and maybe have a le- lesser role just to win a title, 
Um, he might want to do that, but if he, if he wants a little bit bigger role um, with a, a team, you know, like the Pacers who could use, assuming they need some uh, additional depth there at the power forward, uh, then, you know, he may be willing to take that money as well. So um, I guess for him, it's going to see how it plays out. But I think I think you're not far off there with, with where he might land because, you know, his big payday days are, are definitely over. And, yeah. you know, it seems like with all these guys, once those go, you know, once that last big one's done, you, you're just down into the level where you're just, you know, playing for, for the spot and, and not as much for the money. Yeah, I agree. And I think I kind of look at him, maybe it's just kind of because they're both like gritty power forwards. I, I look at him almost in, in kind of not the same situation because he's, He's older than David West was when he came here, but just he could come in and be that kind of guy. But I think, you know, David was really sold on coming and being like, he, you know, a veteran guy who could, uh, you know, push the team to another level. And I think maybe you can sell Paul on that. I don't know a whole ton about him as a person. I think it's hard to really know these guys as people unless you're in the locker room. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, we can't get in the locker room right now. Uh, I, I, in case you were unaware, um, but I don't know. I think it. I think it's intriguing to me. But uh, yeah, you know, moving on to another guy. You mentioned Kent Bazemore. I like the idea of him. Um, more of a guy who can play kind of the two and the three. Maybe he plays some four, but he's kind of small for that. He had a pretty tough year until he offensively, at least until he got to Sacramento. He actually played really well offensively in Sacramento. Um, so I wouldn't mind him. I think he's another guy. He's been on a part of some really good teams. He was there early on in Golden State. Um, he was with the Hawks when they, they made the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, and I, I think he just – I've heard I've, I've heard him interviewed. I, I know, uh, you know, quite a few things about him. He's a really good dude. Uh, I think he would definitely fit in. As He's, he's very – he reminds me a lot of Justin Holiday, actually, uh, in terms yeah. of his personality. But I think he would be a good fit. But I also still think um, this team really needs some more size, uh, kind of like a forward position. So I look at maybe – you mentioned Mo Harkless – I like him a lot. People are going to be, uh, I think Mo Harkless is not a sexy name for the MLE. And I, I actually, I am thinking it's possible he gets the full MLE. He had a solid year this year, um, especially defensively. And I think um, one of the biggest issues with free agency this year for the Pacers is that there are a couple of teams who can just shell out money and not worry about it. Cause they're going to have, they don't have money coming onto the books with young players that they have to worry about for two or three years. So like I'm, uh, my, one of my friends, Andrew Kelly, who covers the, the Hawks for Peachtree Hoops, I've talked to him in depth about what they're going to do in free agency and, and his thoughts on that. And he thinks they could actually throw uh, 10 plus million uh, for, for two or three years at Maurice Harkless just because they need depth and they don't have to pay their guys for two or three years so they can afford to throw extra money to bring in guys who would maybe get paid less elsewhere. So that's one thing I look at. But I think Harkless would be really good for this team. Uh, obviously, his shooting isn't great, um, but I think he's a he will shoot, which helps because um, just having guys who shoot is is important. Um, but I also, I think he would bring a lot of defensive versatility that the team was missing. He's kind of like a light thad, thad light a little bit, uh, without as much of obviously no real post game, or uh, I don't think he's quite um, quite as good of an offensive player as thad was. Because even though thad wasn't a great shooter. He was a very good offensive player. He's a smart cutter, oh, yeah. good yeah. screener. I, he did a lot of things that kind of go unnoticed. But um, yeah, I really, I do, I do like Mo Harkless a lot. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, 
a better fit overall than like you know like obviously baseball is a, a bit redundant especially when assuming Jeremy Lamb is going to be okay um, and like you said Justin Holiday again I but I don't care <laughs> the the more of those long active guys you can get on the roster for me the better but I you know a guy like him uh, Jamichael Green who's a little bigger those type of guys um, who are still active though and, and can step out. Um, would be a, a, a good thing for the Pacers to have. Kind of a, you know, Jakar Sampson, kind of that type of active guy, but, you know, you can't really rely on Jakar to do yeah. much more than, you know, D and, and board, hit the boards. So um, a guy that, that brings a lot more to the table, but at the, that, you know, kind of size of an active 3-4 option um, would be nice to have, that's for sure. Definitely. And I think, I mean, there are a couple other guys. I'm not sure what their market will be. We'll know more closer. I think we'll do a much more in-depth pod talking about um, free agency when the season's done. Um, but I mean, like Derek Jones Jr., I don't know what he's going to get because um, he hasn't really factored in a whole ton to the Heat's playoff run. So I, I was higher on his market during the regular season. But I mean, again, in the bubble, he just hasn't been a huge factor for Miami. Um Damian Dotson is a guy I really like. I watched I know it's hard to look at a guy from the Knicks and be like, I'm excited about him. But um, he's a, kind of just a long, rangy wing who can shoot it. He can play defense. Uh, he's uh, just another one of those guys who's versatile. He's still kind of young. I think he's only 26 or 27. Uh, it's only like his third year in the league. And his minutes were really inconsistent uh, because, the, I mean, that's just the Knicks are, are weird. But I, I think he'd be interesting. He's a little bit more of a unknown compared to some of the other guys. Um, but I, I, I'd be interested in it. Uh, Jay Crowder, we were talking about him before we came on. <laughs> I am not sure that he will end up as an MLE guy with how well he's playing in the bubble. Um, he's shooting his way out of it. And, and you know, knowing how things work, he will leave Miami uh, on, a, on a larger deal than he came in on oh, yeah. uh, in, the, in his trade. And he'll end up shooting back, you know, to par again for him at like 31% next year. But like, yeah, exactly. So, uh, and then actually, there could, you know, another guy who I've thought about who I don't think will get the full MOE maybe, but it's, I mean, anything's possible. Um, maybe a Glenn Robinson reunion. Another guy who can shoot it. He can create his own shot a little bit now. That was not here at all when he was a Pacer. Um, he can play defense-ish, which that, that was a thing when he was a Pacer. Um, I'll never forget the year that he started, man. That was, he, he actually was like, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on him. He was like solid, but he was not. Uh, he was, you yeah. know, I always felt he kind of got the short end of the stick here. As far as, you know, he was, he was pretty young and developing and just, you know, he, he definitely had trouble staying healthy. Yeah. And so obviously that was, that was a big thing. Um, but it's good to see he's continued to develop. He hasn't, you know, obviously taken a huge jump anywhere else, but I kind of wonder if he would want to come back, you know, basically because of the way things went his first time here. Um, but yeah, you know, he's a guy that, I mean, you talk about locker room, good guy. I mean, that guy was outstanding. So, um, and from that standpoint, I'm sure, Everyone around the Pacers would love that. And back then, I'm sure they, you know, they may not feel like anything was bad. But I'm just thinking, I, I don't know. And maybe, maybe that's not fair for me to say about the Pacers. But I just kind of felt like he, he, um, he, you know, they didn't give him an extra opportunity to continue to grow. Um, you know, once he was done with his 
contract they're ready to move on so um but that's that's life in the nba and, and you're always looking for the next thing but it's kind of same with with george yang you know it's just mm-hmm. you got these guys that get get relatively cheap in the draft and and they show some promise but they don't you know they don't have the opportunity to grow so um it's it's always a, a balancing out there that's rough and yeah. um so yeah, yeah, he's a pro. I'm sure he understands how the situation is, and and um, assuming he had decent communication with the front office, maybe he would be willing to come back. I certainly certainly wouldn't mind that. But again, yeah, that wouldn't be a full league guy at this point. I wouldn't think. Yeah, I, I don't know. I wonder. It's because uh, he didn't. He played pretty well in in Philly. I don't have his stats right for me, but I know he was in the rotation quite a bit. Yeah, when he, when he was had a great year in Golden State, but. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, this is a little bit off topic, but I liked what you said about him and you, you mentioned George Yang as well. It's really funny because with the Pacers and the way that that they play, um, you know, obviously I think part of that was with, with Nate just not being super um, and not really being fully into, or I don't want to say not being fully into, but he, he liked leaning into his veterans. I mean, that's, 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 oh, a, yeah. that's for sure. And I think, you know, that's one thing I'm really interested to see uh, change with the upcoming coach, whoever it is, because I think, well, I, I really understood why Nate did that and wanted to lean into that. I think I look at guys like Glenn Robinson, guys like George's Niang. Um, I'm trying to think of other guys who didn't maybe develop as well here and not that he didn't develop. I mean, I think the player development staff did a good job, but I think oh, yeah. you look at if, if they maybe get more opportunities or more run or more crunch time minutes, then maybe they do develop into what they can be with the Pacers. So that's something I look at and think about. Like, obviously, it's not a great example, um, but I think a lot about TJ Leaf. And, I, you know, this is just hear me out, okay? Uh, I, I was talking with somebody on a pod about this that was, uh, that was not for IC, and they, they kind of ghost-eyed me. They're like, what are you talking about? I, I know TJ Leaf is not an NBA player now, uh, but I think – you look at him and, and what he was coming out of UCLA, and maybe if he does get more opportunity uh, in his first two years, then maybe things do go differently for him. You know, I think uh, ultimately maybe he ends up still not being a great NBA player, but I, I don't know. That's just something that I think about. You know, if there if there are more opportunities moving forward, um, I think that that could be exciting for the young players on the team. But I think we're ready to move off Emily and start take, going to some of the questions. Unless you had anything else to add? Uh, no, that's good. Oh, you don't want to no clapbacks on what I said about TJ Leaf? Well, well, I could go on, but you know, <laughs> yeah. We don't the only thing I would say is I know with with Nate, um, and it it this is kind of I think it's pretty much an organizational thing, obviously, because their their goal and his goal every night was to win. Didn't care about anybody's development, honestly. Yeah, so they you know there is a rare time that I I can't even think off the top of my head of a time where, you know, management's going to say, hey, let's give this guy some minutes, you know, and hopefully we'll win. We're playing to win, obviously. But, you know, we want to give him some minutes and see what he can do. Um, Whereas, like you say, you know, Nate's going to play the veterans and, or, you know, most likely whoever's going to give him the best chance to win that night right then. So um, it's kind of a, a little bit of a different mentality sometimes times um and you know occasionally they'll they'll you'll see some guys slide in for some minutes off the bench but but really it's it's tough to develop that way and you know with tj 
you know, different guys react differently. And being the guy and, and having a big UCLA, you know, time at UCLA and, and being a highly recruited guy um, early and, and being young, coming in the NBA, and then all of a sudden not playing. Um, guys react differently. Some guys just get pissed and grind and, and force their way into playing. And other guys get, you know, maybe I'm not saying TJ felt sorry for himself, but, you know, just have trouble dealing with not playing um, mentally and, and trying to get over that hump and still finding ways to develop without playing in the game. So um, that it's a, a different situation for everybody. But um, it seems like, you know, with the Pacers, with some of these guys, they, they get when they get their opportunity, they get seize it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know what? Actually, this is a really interesting point, so I want to keep talking about it for a sec. That remind, I mean, not to hype myself up, but in high school, I mean, I I played, you know, kind of a defensive end, a linebacker hybrid in, in, in high school, and the two guys who, who started ahead of me both got looks from Division One colleges, and one went to one went to a D one AA school, and the other. Uh, ended up going to to a D3 school uh, because he didn't want to play D1 for whatever reason. But the point Mm was, I, you know, I mean, I remember talking with my coaches because I was frustrated at the beginning of the season. I was like, you know, I know, can I play somewhere else? I'll play safety. I'll play anywhere. Like, just give me a chance. And um, they were like, you know, you would start anywhere else in the conference, but like not here. You know, we, we, we just don't have room. And that it's hard. I mean, I had to just look at practice as my game day, you know, like just making people better in practice and uh, not trying to like, again, not trying to hype myself up, but I think that's like, that's just, uh, to, to yeah. on. that's a tough thing to do. It is. Yeah. Like absolutely. I, I wasn't great at it. So yeah, but it's, it's an interesting conundrum. And I wonder if that'll ever change with the Pacers, because I think you look at the Raptors, not to just always put them in the light, but I think you, I mean, even looking at like Boston, like, Brad Stevens played Romeo Langford in the first three minutes of, of game three of the playoffs. Like we would never see that with this, this team. And that's not yeah. necessarily a demerit, but I mean, I don't know. I think developing the guys that you have and, and have drafted is important. And I think Goga, I, I'm really excited for him next year. And we'll definitely talk about him uh, more in future pods and maybe even today. But I think, um, him getting the minutes that he got in the bubble are huge for him. I, I was not super, I mean, I'm obviously high on his potential and his future, but I was a little bit nervous for him at the end of the season because he really was not getting a lot of playing time. Um, he did not look great in his playing time. He wasn't getting a lot of opportunity to run in the G League. So I, I think th- just being kind of stuck in that little, you know, that space in between being a, a rotation player and being a, in the G League developing, I mean, that's that's tough. And I think it's important to get the minutes that, Absolutely. that Goga got. So I, I well, I, I think it's, you know, obviously we wish that there'd been a, a real backup center or not a real backup center because Goga was and Jakar was. Um, but I think those, those will be huge for his development, but we got to get to some of the questions before I keep talking about this for forever. So, so from Dwayne K, uh, he asked, is it possible if a trade is made and money is needed to make it work, could we offload the last part of Monte's salary? Unfortunately, that is not a thing under the CBA. Uh, so once you stretch someone's contract, that would be sweet, though. That would be nice. I would, I, dude. How we would send anything out to. You want to just pay the last two and a half mil on Monte? Please, thank you. Uh, that would be. I, I wish, Dwayne. That would be fantastic. Um, so from SpongeBob Karate Shops, that name always kills me. Um, Love it. I read that the top five NBA coaches make about eight mil a year. 
since coach's salary doesn't count towards the cap tax slash tax, and since we have several players that seem to be just waiting to be unlocked, and since D'Antoni has a consistent record of unlocking players' potentials, wouldn't that make signing D'Antoni the single most efficient and potent use of money if they sign him for a little less than $8 million a year? Also, since he's such a proven known quantity compared to a younger next nurse type of gamble, also comparing a bit under eight to whatever averages, is that the safest, smartest bet financially? Also, side note, I think some criticized aspects of the Houston experiment were a Daryl Morey times D'Antoni times roster situation combo deal. A lot to unpack there. Um, but what are your thoughts, first of all, just in terms of signing D'Antoni to a deal that big? I actually, in my opinion, I don't know if the Simons would be willing to pay that much money for a coach. Yeah, I mean, history tells us not likely. Um, but, again, I, as far as the, the money – it doesn't bother me how much they pay the coach. Um, not my money. And like exactly. I said, it doesn't, it doesn't impact anything as far as the, the roster. So um, if that is the going rate and that's the guy they want, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not, as I mentioned last time I was on with you, I'm not real hype on Dan Tony. I, I get it, though. I mean, it, it would be definitely – entertaining and depending upon who he has coaching with him um you know guys are going to produce with him so um if, if they can get uh the roster in in a good enough shape where they can also stop guys a little bit better on the other end um you know it'd be it'd be it'd be a fun experiment to watch it could be very frustrating um as well but um as far as the money. I mean, if um, he is the guy, and I mean, I guess it would it, it would show the commitment to D'Antoni that mm-hmm. they just really wanted him. Because I, you know, I, I'm assuming there's going to be some other teams. You know, we talked about leverage earlier, um, who are interested in him as well. So, um, if he is their guy, we'll know. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I guess that would give me more confidence in in the plan going forward um, if they were willing to make that commitment. Um, now, you know, if they're trying to get him on the cheap, you know, as no one else has signed him and they can get him um, undervalued, then, you know, that, that doesn't excite me as much. But, um, uh, I, you know, I guess it, it depends on what they – really what they want to do with him. Yeah, and I think this is a great question, too, because following, first of all, Kelly Eco uh, of The Athletic, he he covers the the Rockets for The Athletic. He's phenomenal. Uh, Read his stuff. Um, He wrote about why D'Antoni ultimately decided to leave, and part of it was just a respect thing for him uh, between ownership and himself. And um, I think part of it was money, but more in terms of what the money means. You know, if if he's being underpaid, that's okay. Well then what do you think of me as a coach? You know, I think that's what it came down to for him. So I think um, not to say that he's just money mongering, but you know, and you, that if you want to do, that's fine. You know, you do you. Um, but I, I think the money will be an important aspect of him. Um, yeah. So that makes sense. I think uh, this is something I've wrestled with a lot. Uh, I'll call you SBK uh, for SpongeBob karate chops. It's easier to say. Um <laughs> I think I wrestle with this a lot. I've been thinking about this a ton and I've talked with Tom about it quite a bit. I don't know what's, what's safer or uh, more of a 
smarter financial bet. And I think I also hedge that and say, doesn't this team want to go in the direction of not doing the safe thing? Because that's what mm-hmm. has been done for the last 15 years, you know, uh, and more importantly, the last five. So I think, I don't know. I, I wrestle with that a lot. I'm really interested to see what the, uh, what the front office does. Well, I mean, you, you think about the, the franchise and the coaching changes and everything. I mean, this is really the, you know, the, they had the coaching, you know, they, they went from Larry Brown, Larry Bird, and then um, moved on to Isaiah, and then Rick Carlisle was ready to go. So we got rid of Isaiah, and then, you know, obviously the brawl and the rebuild, and Carlisle's out of here. So they kind of have a coaching search there. They get, you know, Jim O'Brien, but that was even a kind of an odd search. Um, I think, you know, he was a guy they just interviewed on the phone um, altogether <laughs> eventually. Um, and then, you know, we go from there to Vogel, who was on staff, and then, and then Nate, who was on staff. So this is, you know, this is a, the first time in, in you know, a, guy, a couple generations here where you're actually going through a, a full-on, coaching search and um obviously it like you just said it is they're changing uh that that's the biggest show change in direction they're they're straying away from what they know here i mean they're, they're not doing the safe thing and they're gonna be you know making a commitment to somebody but it's also gonna be you know they're, they're putting the cards on the table it's it's a gamble here um making a big change um and they they do have the veteran players that should be able to adapt and obviously the players have had their input on what things how things have been going um and they want to do something different so um all all that information is is creating this change and it it feels like there's you know plenty of coaching styles out there to to tap into um guys that are available so yeah um so again if you do lean in the direction dan tony you're completely altering the direction and you know i i can't get upset about that even if i'm not the hugest dan tony fan yeah i i agree and um i will one thing i will say though before we move on to the next question um so you don't have a chance to respond um i (laughs) not even to say that i'm like a huge d'antoni fan but i do think some of the uh the monikers about him are on not unfair but a little bit unbased like the idea that he's not a good defensive coach i think is Mm -hmm. largely kind of wrong um just looking at the way that his rosters have been built um i agree a lot with what was said about uh some of the criticized aspects of the Houston experiment were Daryl Morey, D'Antoni, and a roster combo deal. I agree with that. I think everything was just exacerbated when put together. Um, but, you know, I think there's there's a lot more to Mike D'Antoni than just shooting threes. And I, I'm not saying that you're implying that. But yeah. I think I see that a lot, and I think that's just not true. So um, I just want to put that onto the ether. Uh, next question. <laughs> Which current Pacers player will be the best head coach in the future? I really like this question and thought we had. Oh, interesting. I think the mm-hmm. easy answer would be Malcolm Brogdon because I think Malcolm Brogdon could lead a like a rock. Like he, yeah, he could make absolutely. anything follow him because he's just that kind of a leader and communicator. Um, yeah, but I, in terms of next person, I think of 
Um, just in my experience, the best coaches are never guys who are incredible players. Um, so I would strike Vic from the list. Um, and not, not to like disparage him, but I'm just my, you know, going yeah. back to my football playing days, the, one of the worst coaches I ever had was a guy who played in the NFL um, and play. It was an all American at Ohio state. So I, he, he just didn't understand why people weren't six foot seven, 300 pounds and couldn't, you know, just block somebody into oblivion. So I think not to say that that's every single uh, great player, but I think that's something that I, that feeds into my, my thinking a little bit. I mean, Doug McDermott's dad is the head coach at Creighton. Uh, so you never know there. Um, yeah, he's grown up around it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think Miles would actually be a really good coach. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> you don't? What makes you say no? Uh, I, well, I don't know. I guess I'm not sure. I don't know why. I I one thing that I've found, a lot of the guys who really struggle with their game and and certain aspects of it are are better at teaching others how to do it than than they are right. at learning themselves. If that makes sense, um, that's just something that I found. And I think Miles is a great dude. He's a great communicator, so I could see that. No, I agree. I do. I mean, I just always feel like Miles is um, obviously got immense talent and everything, but I always feel like his basketball sense isn't always real strong so that i guess maybe that's where i'm thinking um he might not be as great but um a, a lot of that also is you know what he's doing on the floor and, and the positions he's been put into but he's obviously smart enough to figure everything out um but i'm not sure if i see him as a as a coach side personally i think justin holiday would be a guy who has been, you know, one of those guys you talk about who's not the star player, but who's been around a lot. He's had a lot of different coaching styles um, throughout his career and probably learned what's, what works and what doesn't. And uh, he, he might be a guy that would be a good coach going forward. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I think there's a, a lot to to look at there. Maybe it's an article in the future. Who knows? It could be a slow off season, but I <laughs> doubt it. Um, so we got. Uh, do you want to do two or three more? How much do we have time for? Let's do. Let's do two more. So apologies that we do not get to everyone. Um, so first one was a. Uh, a trade got thrown our way from friend of the show, Ben Roman, who did our, our intro song, and he, he writes uh, <laughs> behind the Bucks pass and covering the Bucks. Um, so this one I actually thought was interesting, and I, I normally don't love talking about trades because they're mostly crap. But this one actually like was kind of intriguing. Um, so it was the, the Pacers get Ish Smith and Bradley Beal. The Wizards get Jeremy Lamb, Victor Oladipo, Miles Turner, and, uh, and two picks. Whoa, jeez. <laughs> oh wow, Tom was not a fan. Okay, no, no, I no, I'm a fan of Bradley Bill. I'll say, but I'm, maybe we can negotiate that a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just said so, I had to bring it up, man. It was I, I wasn't no, I, one way or another. I, I I'm willing. That's a starting point. I say that's a starting point. Every every deal has to have a starting point. Um, so what was it? So were there picks in there too? Yeah, there were picks in there as well. Oh lordy. Yeah, yeah, it's a little, it's a little. Uh, there's a I mean, lot going I, back to the Wizards. We'll say that. Yeah, there's a. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, throwing in Jeremy Lamb seems like a little overkill. It's you know we should keep him at least. I would think that would yeah. kill the deal. And 
you know, maybe one pick? Maybe? I don't know. I would love to have Bradley Bill, though, believe me. Yeah, uh, I think um, he would be great. That would be outstanding. Also, so, I got to say, his defense got so overblown this year. That Wizards team yeah. was just so bad. Well, and again, you know, he, he's a guy. If he's healthy, he's – Yeah, if he's healthy and he's on a good team, he's going to play defense. Yeah. He's like – he plays average to above average defense when he's asked to. So I'm not worried about it. And that would be exciting. And I, I think he's a great dude, too. He's uh, yeah. fun to hear interviewed. Um, just, yes, we, just, you, you know, just dump Vic and Miles real easily, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we know where Tom stands on that. I would definitely decline that deal, uh, I think, as, as is. Maybe we could work around it. But um, So uh, we'll get to our last question. We can work it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Actually, so random thing. I when I did a pod uh, before the Wizards game we had in the bubble, I was talking to Kevin Broom, who who uh, covers the Wizards for uh, um, I is it Bullets Forever? Yeah, 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 yeah Bullets Forever. And uh, he said Miles Turner is like the 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 for be- lack of better terms, like the Jesus figure of of Wizards <laughs> basketball. Like the fans are apparently obsessed with Miles Turner trades, which I. All right, let's pull the pick back up the table then. <laughs> yeah, just just miles up for Bradley Beal, right? <laughs> um, so getting into our last question from uh, from Rhett, Rhett Bauer. Gosh, I can't speak today. Um, do you think optics around the league will have something to do if slash when the Pacers choose a big? Domas comes in, makes the All Star team, and then gets traded, or the Pacers trade Miles, their longest tenured player. Not sure which is in quotations worse, or if that's even a consideration. Um, I think that's an interesting thing to bring up. Um, I'll ask you first because I have thoughts on that, Tom. So run that by me again, real quick. Uh, so basically, do you think that optics would play into whether or not a uh, one of the bigs gets traded? So yeah, obviously, Domas just made the All Star team and is a focal point of the team. And Miles is the longest tenured player on the team. So he's saying that optics that they would not want to trade either one of them because it doesn't look good on. Or would optics factor into whether or not one or right. the other doesn't or doesn't get traded? Um, I mean, that probably is a variable, um, but I think it would more come down to you know what. The offer is <laughs> for said big man, whether it's Domas or Miles. And I, I honestly, I feel like um, Domas, I would just be so surprised if they dealt him, um, unless there's something else going on internally that we're unaware of um, with his, um, you know, not wanting to be here for some reason. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that. Just because they're, you know, like Miles is the longest tenured player doesn't mean they're going to hang on to him. I, I do, you know, it is kind of funny to me that, you know, we've gone through this um, with Paul George and then, you know, the grumblings of Victor and, and all that. And the one guy, it seems like a lot of people don't mind seeing on the training block is Miles Turner, who seems to always really just want to be here with the Pacers. I know. Um, it's, uh, it's, so, yeah. But I, you know, I, I, I do not think that, that um, if the deals are right, and it seems like, you know, and I know J. Michael mentioned there's already been some interest in Miles, and, and um, obviously it would depend on what that interest was, but I don't think that 
that would hold the team back if, again, as we mentioned earlier, they're looking to go in a different direction and really um, try something new and that isn't safe. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, and having talking, talked, talking, geez, that's not a word. And having talked to a couple of former GMs and guys who worked in the front office, uh, you know, I think optics do play a part to an extent, uh, but not necessarily when it comes to trading players. I think when it comes to just making your team better, optics kind of, not that they go out the window, but I think just in this scenario, um, like, yeah, Miles is the longest tenured player. I think that actually would – not that it's, like, a detriment that makes it easier to trade Miles. I think it's more – like, if you just sign a guy or you just trade for a guy and then you ship him out again, I think maybe that could look bad opt- optically. Um, yeah. But, like, if you just sign a free agent and you, you trade them, uh, like, right when you're able to uh, – when, right when you're allowed to by the CBA, I think that could speak negatively to free agents potentially. You know, it's it's – a lot of it's just contextual, you know. Um, yeah. But I think largely it, it wouldn't factor in a whole time. But I, I still think that's an interesting yeah. question. Um, so thank you to everyone who asked questions. I apologize that we didn't Absolutely. get all of them today, but we had a we had a lot of them, um, yeah. and we will try and get. If if I didn't answer it, I'll I'll, I'll get into the comments and, and answer for you there. Um, but Tom, do you have anything uh, anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, I, I do. Like you said, I appreciate the, the community rising up as usual. Um, with some good stuff, and um, I can't wait to see how things start playing out. I guess we got another month and a half of off-season um, preparation, getting ready, and then getting into the draft, and then who knows when the season will start, but um, there should be plenty of activity coming up with this coaching search, and and I uh, appreciate you, Mark, staying on top of everything and keeping the pot rolling. It's been great. So. Looking forward to the next one. I try my best, Tom. Thank you for uh, for paying me to do this. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, just kidding. You don't, you're not the one who pays me. You just hired me. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyways, always fun to talk, Tom. I appreciate it. To everyone listening at home, uh, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Spotify. Uh, read us over at Indie Cornrows. If you're not doing that, what are you doing? Uh, be sure to do that. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, anything, be sure to shoot it over to me on Twitter. I'll probably see it there faster than on Indie Cornrows. Um, but yeah, just have a good rest of your day. 